0: Please turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 to 11 this morning. The title of our lesson is going to be A Better Commandment. Last week we talked about how important it is to obey. We talked about obedience. We talked about the commandments. We paused and looked at each one of those. And today we're going to talk about one very specific and profound commandment, which is love. Love is the greatest commandment God has ever gave us, and it's going to come up here in the text. Before I read the text, I want to ask you a question once again. Did you ever need to improve something? Did you ever need to improve something? Maybe you're home improvement people. Maybe you guys have seen needs in your own home, or I know a couple in the church here are are house flippers, so they make improvements all the time. But did you ever need to improve something? I want to share a couple stories of things that I tried to improve during my college years, one that was successful and one that wasn't very successful. Um, When I was a freshman in college, I went in and I knew who my roommate was. We had planned to have a roommate. I was going with one, one of my friends, and uh, i thought it was a good idea to room with one of your best friends that's a good thing right you know each other you know what each other's like and that was going to be a good experience well i was dead wrong Uh, i don't know if you've ever realized this but just because you're friends with somebody doesn't mean they're an awesome roommate and i'm probably sure that goes back two different directions but uh, my first roommate in my freshman year of college was quite interesting Uh, this wasn't his fault or anything it's just he worked at a restaurant uh, as a cook, and so every single night he would come back home into the dorm and reek. And not the good kind of smell of food, the bad kind. Every night I had to deal with that grease, bad, saturated smell, and so that that really got on my nerves, but that was just the tip of the iceberg with this guy, and I don't mean to be mean, but he, uh, he had this girlfriend, she went to a different college, and uh, he had one of those relationships where they were always on the phone saying sweet nothings to each other in the phone, you know, s- things like, you hang up. No, you hang up. You're silly. No, you're sillier. You're the silliest. And I would say things like that. You're both ridiculously silly. Can we be done? And I just, well, I, whatever it was, I don't know if I was just short back then or didn't have a lot of patience, but I just said to myself, I have to get a new roommate. This is not going well. And our friendship was fine. It didn't put a lot of stress in our friendship. It was just the roommate experience had to stop. So we had this guy in our suite who was a senior, was turning into being a senior, and he was going to go student teaching, which meant he was going to only be there for the first semester, and the second semester, if I was able to room with him, I was going to get my own room, which was pretty sweet. But this guy was an interesting character as well. He was the kind of guy who was an uber morning person, anybody like that, really into the morning, good. What? We got one, watch out. This guy was really into the morning, so much so that he would sing in the morning. But you know what? At this point, I didn't care. I was ready for a roommate improvement. And so I said to this guy, Chris, I said, Chris, what if we roomed next year? And he was the kind of guy that called everybody big guy. So he said, yeah, big guy, they'd be great. Why don't we room next year? And I said, let's do it. And I was a little nervous because of, you know, the differences and those kinds of things. But honestly, Chris was the best roommate I ever had, besides Janine. Uh, You're still number one. But no, this guy was a great roommate. I don't know if it was because we were so polar opposite or whatever. We weren't great friends going into the relationship, but we really became good, strong friends after that because he was such a good roommate. We got along great, and then the next semester he left and I got my own room, so it was like even better. Jackpot. So that was one thing I was able to improve my roommate situation in college, but I also tried to improve something in college, which was my dating experience in college. Uh, I, I'm not really walking with the Lord back then, so these stories, you have to take them with a grain of salt. Hopefully that's not who I am today. But I, I asked this girl out just because I thought she was cute, because that's the only criteria when you're a young man. As long as she's cute, she's good dating material. So I decided to ask this girl out. I didn't really know anything about her, and she said yes. I don't know why she said yes. She didn't really know me either, but she decided to say yes, and we went on at a date, and I don't remember what we did, but it wasn't that dynamic. Um, it wasn't clicking, it was one of those things that just wasn't much chemistry. She wasn't really into my personality <laughs> or my sense of humor. And so it was kind of awkward. And I thought to myself, this needs to be improved. I, st- I still want to get to know this girl, but this experience isn't going well so far. So the way I decided to improve it was to invite a couple people along to help me. My sister, Christy, and my best friend, Josh. I said, if Christy and Josh come along and we have this, like, group date, then I'll, f- I'll feel more relaxed, I'll be able to be myself, and that experience will go a whole, whole lot better. It did not. I don't know what it was, but we went on this date, and everything was very, very awkward. Now, Christy and Josh had a fantastic time, but I was there trying to get to know this girl, and she I don't know what it was. We just weren't clicking. So you know what I said? Let's try one more time. I said, maybe it's a venue thing. Maybe if I come up with a really good date idea, then things will go better. So you know what I did? I took her to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert, and it was the first time they had been in the area, so they weren't even at the arena yet. They were at the Kirby Center. And I said, if I take her to this, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna hit, it's gonna connect. We're gonna finally you know, uh, start to mesh. And so I took her to this concert and I brought a few other people just to make myself feel comfortable going, this is it. This is ideal. This is how it's gonna be so I can get to know this girl and we can really connect. And it failed miserably. It just, now the concert was fantastic. That part succeeded. But unfortunately the date didn't go anywhere. It just continued to go that way. And so I, I gave her one of those talks a couple weeks later, the, you know, it's not you, it's me talk except it was the opposite. It wasn't me, it was her. But I didn't say that. Um, But it was just one of those things I tried to reform, I tried to improve, and it didn't go that well. So you know what, after that I realized you should probably start dating people with personalities in that uh, situation. And so I started seeking out girls who actually had more than just being cute. Um, But I was unfortunately not able to improve that relationship, and that relationship ended. Then there's one a little bit more serious things I tried to improve. When I was uh, twenty-six years old, God awakened me from my spiritual slumber. And I started to think about a few things. I started to think about my own life and how I got to this place in my life where I wasn't walking with the Lord, even though I had been a Christian for about 20 years. And then I started to think about maybe there were others like me. And I asked the Lord, Lord, are there others like me? Are there other people who are calling themselves Christians? and been in the Christian environment for so long and are now spiraling out of control. And so I actually said to the Lord, Lord, if you'll help me improve the young adult Christian experience, then I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do whatever. And so that's when God actually called me into young adult campus ministry, where for the last 10 years I've been helping young adults find or reveal uh, their lack of faith in Jesus Christ and come to the true faith in Jesus Christ. And so that was one thing that the Lord helped me improve as well. So the question is, is you've ever had to improve something? Because today we're going to look at Jesus came to improve something also. And I want to direct your attention now to 1 John 2, verses 1 to 7. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. And remember the idea of obedience, because he's still coming from that as, he, as we speak here. He says in verse 7, Beloved. I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to talk about love today. Love is the most important thing you can talk about in the Christian life. And we're going to pause and talk about the better commandment today. Okay, Uh, John 13, I think this is going to be on the screen as well. This is another good cross-reference for what we're going to talk about today. Jesus says in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So again, we're going to talk about the old and the new covenant today, the old and the new commandment of love. So Jesus is setting the stage here. John is setting the stage for what he's going to talk about today. And that entire purpose is how do we love better? How do we love better? So our goal today, we have three goals. Number one is to be reminded of the ancient commandment to love. It's ancient. It's old. Uh, That's our first one. Our number two goal is to learn how Jesus reformed the old commandment and made it better, because he did. And number three, to not neglect to love, but to make love our chief goal as Christ followers. Those are our three goals today we're going to seek to set our mind upon Jesus and upon love. And the way John starts this is very tender. He says the word, beloved, beloved. John is speaking very tender and heartfelt and compassionate to the people here because he has a very important message today. And you know the first thing I thought about? When you need to say something important about a strong doctrine or something like that, it's a good way to speak in love, isn't it? Not to speak down to or make the person feel belittled. John starts by saying, beloved, my loved people, I want to teach you something today. And I thought that was a very tender way to start this letter or start this message here, because love begets love. And I've learned that with my children. I'm learning that with my children. that If I want to say something to my children and make make an impact upon it, I need to use love. Even if I need to be firm, I need to do that process in love because if I lash out something like that, it's not going to make the impact I think it's going to. So John starts by saying, beloved. He is going to seek to build up and restore the people today by teaching them about love. And I think, honestly, you can see from this text that John clearly, genuinely loves these people. It's not just a teaching tactic he's using, but he actually loves these people and wants them built up in the Christian faith. And I want that for you as well. I want all of us built up in the Christian faith so I can call you today beloved as well. Because John wants them to impact the world similar to the way Jesus did. And the way Jesus impacted the world is with love. That's how he did it. So John wants them to understand this, and he wants them to impact the darkness the same way Jesus did. Because love defeats the darkness, doesn't it? Love defeats darkness. And that's how important love is today. So John starts by saying, Beloved. The next thing he says is, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. It's old. It's ancient. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Love is as ancient as creation because the law of love was sown on man's heart ever since he was created. So from, from the beginning, man knew love was important. And John is saying this is not a new commandment. This is an ancient commandment that we're talking about today. In fact, speaking about love today seems very obvious, right? It seems like something we shouldn't have to be reminded about. And that's number two. Love is obvious. And yet love is so easy to get sidetracked from, isn't it? It is in my life. Sometimes it just becomes about duty and ministry, and I lose sight of the people. I lose sight of the one I'm actually serving. And do you remember the tale about Mary and Martha, where you know Martha is trying to get the house all ready for Jesus to come, and Martha lost track of love. And it just became about how Martha was looking, or how the table was looking, and she lost track of the Lord. She lost track of people. So love should be obvious, and yet it's so easy to get sidetracked from. Losing sight of love is losing sight of everything. It really is. If we lose sight of love, we've lost sight of everything important. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that, right? That we're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal if we're not seeking to love. And that's a really important thing to remember. But we need to be reminded about love because that's how important it is. And that's what John's going to first of all do is remind us of the old commandment. And then see here, love was the first and best commandment God ever gave man. In fact, love, if you were here last week, we talked about how love envelops all of the commandments. That if you learn to love, you learn every single thing that God wants you to know. It begins with love, it ends with love. Nobody can escape love or pretend they never heard love because it's impossible. It was sown upon your hearts ever since you were born, ever since you were created. Love. And you hear it over and over and over if you ever come to the scripture. Every time I come to the scripture, I can't dodge love. It's everywhere. God doesn't want anyone to be able to say, I missed that one, Lord. Love is important. You should have told me. I did tell you. In fact, I sown it upon your heart so you knew how important it was. So John is saying, This is an old commandment. I'm not teaching you something brand new today. I'm not teaching you guys anything brand new today. Love is ancient. Love built the world. And yet he says in verse 8, number 3, at the same time it is a new commandment. And this is kind of confusing. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. We have like a twist here. John is, are you trying to trick us, John? Is it old or is it new? And the answer to that is yes. Yes. It's old and it's new. And we're going to look at how it's new today. So love is ancient and obvious. We just talked about that. It's it's as clear as anything can be. And yet it needed to be reformed by Jesus. And we're going to talk about why that is. Jesus came not only to die, not only to give up his life, but also to teach and to show the right way. And the thing he's going to reform is the idea of love because it was very confused. People had gotten it wrong. People had been living in the wrong kind of love, and Jesus came to reform it or to improve the ideas of love. He reestablished it. Again, not the, not the love, commandment of love, but our understanding and our ideas of love, Jesus came to reform. Because there is a better way to love than thou shalt not. There just is. There's a better way to love than just, I need to stop doing something. And we're going to talk about that. There's a better, more profound way to love. And Jesus is going to teach us that. So the reason Jesus came was to display, to teach, to reform the old ideas of love so that you and I are not in the dark any longer. Because if we don't understand the right idea of love, we will walk in the darkness. And that's what I didn't understand for a long period of my life, is what love actually looked like. Because I was kind. I was generally nice. I was a person that wasn't trying to hurt anyone anyone blatantly. And Jesus said, it goes beyond that, Todd. It goes beyond what you're actually practicing right now. So love is a new commandment. Jesus came with love and to teach love. He came with his body and he came with his spirit to teach and to guide. Because love is the gospel. If you know anything about the gospel, it's love, right? It's not condemnation. It's not you, wicked sinner, you're going to hell. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, I've come to restore you. I've come to make you something you're not yet. I've come to heal you and help you and pick you up and guide you the right way. So love is a new commandment. The way we need to understand it today, maybe this is for the first time, the first way you need to understand love is different than you originally thought. It's deeper. It's more profound. And John is going to tell us that it's new. And we're going to take some time here at the end of the sermon to talk about very specifically about the old versus the new. So forgive my speed if I seem to be going too fast through these points. Number four, he says in verse eight, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You see, Jesus came with a message of love, but it was neither all accepting nor was it condemnation. Love is as complex as God is. It's complex. Love is complex. If you've ever tried to love someone, it's a complex thing to do. I'm learning that with my children. If I just give them everything they want whenever they want it, is that love? Of course it's not, right? Love is complex. Sometimes love says yes says yes to things, and sometimes love says no. Sometimes love is kindness and cheerful attitude. Sometimes love is a firm attitude. And so love from Jesus was neither all accepting nor was it condemnation because all accepting isn't love because God detests sin. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. God detests sin. And we need to know that in order to understand what love is. But second of all, it's neither condemnation. If God just says, I detest sin, you're condemned because of that, goodbye. That's not love. And God knew that. And because God is love, he came up with a plan to give mankind a second chance because the God that we serve is the God of many chances, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Don't you know that about God? Chance after chance after chance. If you read the Old Testament, that's what he's trying to do for the Israelites. Chance after chance, prophet after prophet after prophet. So they'll finally get it and finally walk the way that God expects them to. But he's also not going to just wink at sin, he's not going to sweep it under the rug. Because that's not love as well. Love is not just saying to a person, you're fine. You don't have a disease, just act like you don't. Your sin's not a big deal. Just live your life. And then on the end, they find that there's a judgment and that God detests sin. So love is very complex. And God is very complex. And God doesn't, doesn't desire fellowship with sin, but he does desire to save sinners from that darkness. Isn't that cool to know? That he will not fellowship with sin, but at the same time, he will draw people out of it. And bring them into the love, into the light, and that's very complex love. Um, so love needs proper understanding if we're going to obey it. It needs to be properly understood, and this is why John says that darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Because darkness may seem like it's winning today, it seems that way, doesn't it? You watch the news, you look at the media. Darkness looks like it's winning. I want to give you a little illustration of this, okay? I am a football fan. Any football fans out there? I am a, I'm going to make some enemies here, New England Patriots fan. <laughs> Sorry, just how it works. Actually, you know what? I'm a Michigan fan, and Tom Brady, I like Tom Brady, that's just how it happened. Um, but I'm a New England Patriots fan, and he, a couple Super Bowls ago, they were you know, in the Super Bowl, and big big matchup versus the, New, uh, the Falcons, what's their name? Atlanta, not New England. The Atlanta Falcons, and if you remember that game, the Patriots did not start out well. By halftime, they think they were down 28 to 3. And I, as a Patriots fan, was losing my patience. And I'm not a very good fan, Ash Janine. I'm very I'm, I'm very fair-weathered. But I was watching this game going, this is ridiculous. I'm wasting my time. Let's do something else. Let's watch something else. Let's let's spend the night another way. And so we actually turned the game off for a while. But I kept checking the score just in case. I know they have Tom Brady. He's pretty special. So I kept checking the score just to see if this game was going to come back. And little by little, I started to see the, the, the lead dwindle. It was 28-9, to 9, then it was 28-16. to 16. And at that point, I'm like, we got to turn it back on. And actually what happened, if you remember, the New England Patriots came back to win that game. It was the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. But if you watched only the first half, you would realize that the Falcons were obviously going to win this game. It was a landslide victory. The Falcons were going to run away with it. The Patriots going to be embarrassed. But you had to continue it until the end. And my illustration is the very same for darkness. Darkness looks like it's way ahead, doesn't it? It looks like it's winning. And yet it says here that the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The dawn is almost here, guys. You know what it's like when the dawn comes and the darkness eventually leaves? and the sun comes onto the scene and and shines into your bedroom, the dawn is almost here. The darkness is passing away, and John wants us to know we're on the winning team. We're on the winning team. If you follow Jesus Christ, we're on the winning team. But that also means that we need to make love, purposeful love, the greatest urgency. We must further share and live the message of the gospel of love because time is very brief. And we need to remember that today. And the devil, the one thing he tries to trick us and to teach us is that we have all the time in the world. So, that if you're not living for the Lord today, you got tomorrow, you got next year. Do it after Christmas. Make it a New Year's resolution to really buckle down and live for the Lord. He's lying. He knows the time is brief, he knows we don't have long. So, you and I need to understand the brevity of time. We need to understand that the true light is already shining. And we need to fight and win as Christ has taught us, we will. Because the power of God has the power to defeat the darkness and to defeat the sin pattern of this world. So here's the illustration for that, or here's the application for that, is get on the right team if you're not already. Because God is going to win. He's going to win. And it's going to be a landslide victory the other way. As soon as darkness looks like it's winning and defeating everything, Light will come onto the scene and will be a landslide victory. So are you on the right team today? Are you on the team of the Lord and are you on the team of love? Are you loving? Because that's the whole point. Next, John says, whoever says he is in the light, which you could claim today, but hates his brother, is still in darkness. It doesn't work. If you say today I am on the right team, of course I follow Jesus. I've been a Christian for a very long time. But there's hatred within you for your fellow brother or sister or fellow man. John says you're still in darkness. Can't happen. Now, can we slip and fall? Yes, unfortunately, we all do that. But if we are practicing hatred, harboring hatred and anger in our life for other people, John says, call it what it is. It's darkness. And it cannot rain because God is light. Remember that. God is light. And so John doesn't say, listen, if you hate your brother, it's bad. He says you walk in darkness. You're not on the right team. So check your heart and check your soul today. Are you harboring hatred for somebody? If so, it's very possible. If not probable, you're, you're walking the wrong way today. You're on the wrong team. You're going the wrong way. John is seeking to destroy bad doctrines and bad thinking because none of us can possibly be on the right path of following Jesus if we're living with hatred for our fellow man, especially the church. This is where love needs to make camp for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because hatred is 180 degrees the wrong direction. When you and I hate, when you and I are harboring hatred and anger for our fellow brothers, we're going the wrong way. And we have to call it that so we can get off that path and get on the right path. We need to love as a practice and theme of our love lives. And this is the point I need to drive home today. It needs to be the same kind of love that Jesus displayed. Because what we do with love is we often give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and go, I am quite a loving person. I'm very kind. I'm very generous. But does your love look like Jesus' love? Because that's the point today. That's the whole point of the better commandment. Not that you love according to the world. I'm a little bit better than what the world is. But do you emulate the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have the same kind of love that Jesus displayed? Love of tenderness, compassion, kindness, going the extra mile as he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, but also calling out sin when needed. Because a person who's walking in sinful lifestyle, who's walking in the darkness, needs to be warned. And Jesus did that, didn't he? Jesus just didn't go, I love all of you no matter what you do. Live your life. He called out sin and he said, you can't live in this. This will kill you. I came to destroy the works of the devil. You can't live in sin any longer. And by doing that, Jesus loved us. And I remember what that experience was like in my life when he said, Todd, Wrong way. Wrong way. You continue on this path, you're going to end up in destruction. Turn around. And guess what, guys? It hurt. It hurt to hear that. It was embarrassing. It hurt that Jesus told me I was going the wrong way. I was living a fraudulent lifestyle. But you know what? I listened. And I turned around. And now I understand the hard love of Christ. When Christ says to you, wrong way. Turn around. I love you. You can't go this direction any longer. So you and I need to practice that type of love in people's lives. This doesn't mean swing the pendulum and start judging every single person and you know speculating about their sinful lifestyles. That's not what it's talking about. If you know and understand someone's dark lifestyle with the facts, with the testimony, and you know they're going the wrong direction, you've got to do what's hard because Jesus would have. He did. But if love isn't purposeful, sacrificial or spiritually edifying love, it's generally not the type of love that Jesus expects. It's not right for me to just say to my child, I'll give you whatever you want, whenever you want it. Love takes wisdom. It takes thoughtfulness. You need to do the homework in the mind to go, what would best love this person? Because Jesus did that. And he wants us to know that all hatred must be put away. All of it. If there's hatred in our lives, it must be put away before the time is over. You ever have a GPS tell you, make a U-turn when available? (laughs) I think I've heard that more than anyone in the world. Uh, I stink at directions, so the GPS is often yelling at me, make a U-turn when available. Well, in the same way, if you're walking in hatred today, make a U-turn. But not even when available, today. Today. Turn around Because all hatred will be judged. God will not wink at hatred when he is a God of love. And when love demanded the sacrifice of his son, just like we celebrated in communion, God said yes. So we as his people cannot say, no, I'm not into love. It's too costly. It demands too much. Too much homework. I'll be generally kind, but I'm not going to go the extra mile and then we see the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet, that's not going to work. Because love begets love. So you and I cannot please the Lord while we walk in darkness or practice hatred. Next. John says, Whoever loves his brother, on the other side, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Isn't that a cool phrase? Whoever loves his brother is in the light. You have confidence that you're in the light, walking in the right path, And there is no cause for stumbling. If we love as Jesus loves, we have concrete proof that we're on the right team. We're following Jesus on the path of light, on the path of life, and we're going to the path of eternal fellowship with God. So that is for you. If you and I know that we're loving our brother and there's proof of that, we have confidence, or we should have confidence, that we're going the right way today. But he also says there's no cause for stumbling with love. Love neither hurts us nor does it hurt other people. Now, love is costly, but it never hurts us when we love one another. And it never, of course, hurts another person when we walk in love. So therefore, there's no stumbling when we walk in love. When we strive to walk in God's kind of love, we strengthen ourselves and we strengthen others. And most of all, we glorify God. So love helps and blesses literally everyone. When you and I walk in love, we're blessed, others are blessed, and God is blessed. When we walk in hatred, it's over three. I mean, that's how polar opposite it is. Either you walk in love and you strengthen yourself, your others, and most of all, God, or you walk in darkness and you hurt us, others, and God. So whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is No cause for stumbling. You don't stumble when you walk in love because that's the whole point here. And the last thing John tells us, back on the other side, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The person doesn't even know they're walking to hell because they think love's not a big deal Love's not a big deal. I can get back to love. I can neglect love. Love really isn't that big of a deal. Not only are you in the darkness, but you're blinded by that darkness. Hatred or the lack of purposeful love is so opposed to God that walking in it is pure darkness. You guys ever been in pure pitch black darkness? Anyone ever been in that? We have this road where my parents live that I grew up on. We were the second house on the entire road, and the only other house was right at the entrance of the road. So we were probably, you know, a quarter of the mile down on that road, and it was in the kind of the wooded area. So I remember sometimes, you know, this time of year when it starts getting dark, um, if you ever had to take the garbage down or ever have to do anything like that and get on that road, it was pitch black. Scary. I mean, really scary. We used to dare each other if we could walk down the entire road. And uh, yeah, I didn't win that one it was really scary. And every little twig that breaks freaks you out, right? It's like, oh, you know, there's a bear or there's some killer in the woods. Because you can't see. You can't see anything. So all you have is your imagination. Light shows you the way to go. And light is love. But when you and I don't have love, when we're harboring hatred, we're in pure pitch black darkness. We have to get out of it. <clears throat> Anything we claim to know or have experienced from Christ without proof of loving lifestyle is entirely fraudulent. And that's a pill I really had to swallow when I was in my mid 20s. I wasn't walking in love. I wasn't wa- thinking about other people or the will of God. I was caring about my own desires and my own flesh. And yet calling myself a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I love Jesus. And God said, Where's the love, Todd? Where is it? You love Christ? You follow Christ? Then show me by your actions. And it was very possible that I had a fraudulent Christianity. Those who walk in hatred, unfortunately, according to this and according to several passages in Scripture, are on a fast track to destruction. As obvious as love is, those who don't love are blinded by the darkness and considering that nothing is wrong as hell draws near. You and I must warn that person. If we're not that person and we know someone who is that person, we must warn that person before it's too late. But we also must never fellowship with darkness, just like God does. There's a time for calling on sin. There's a time to being around sinners. But do not get into the part of your life where you're fellowshipping. Your main fellowship is with darkness, because the darkness will grab you. Jesus was the master of this. He spent time with people like Zacchaeus. But if you remember that story, Zacchaeus did not stay the way he was. Jesus went in, he called him out, and Zacchaeus came to the light. And there's a really good model for how we should witness to sinners. Spend time, build relationships, but never fellowship with darkness. Do not wink at sin, because God is not in the darkness. He's in the light. So God equates murder, excuse me, God equates hatred with murder. And it says in verse John three fifteen that no murderer will enter the kingdom of God. And to Jesus, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, anger and hatred are murder. And it's very clear that no murder is going the right way, right? The dark path does not lead to eternal light. It just doesn't. It doesn't lead to heaven. So the application before we get into the part I really want to focus on today, I'm going to move quickly through these, is do you know the love of God through the Lord Jesus? Do you actually know God through Jesus today? His love is a love of offense. He saw us in our sins and he came to the earth to do something about it. He didn't just go, blessings. Hope it goes well. I love you. He came to the earth. Have you and I been impacted by that love? Have we been impacted to the point that you and I love the very same way that Jesus is? See the needs, find the needs, and meet the needs by God's strength because that's how Jesus did it. He saw the needs. He found the needs and then he met the needs. And love has to go to that length. So have you been impacted by the love of Christ to such a degree that you're showing that kind of love to other people? I know the needs. I've heard of the needs, but I'm busy too. I hope someone else does. Right? I'll say a prayer for you. God left his throne when you and I were in a sinful state and we need to be impacted by that. Number two, God detests hatred because it's an attack on his character, his law, and against the people he created. Hatred for God's people is an attack on God himself. Do you want to attack God? Do you want to be hostile to God? Then don't hate his people. Hatred is either willful, willful harm when you actually harm somebody purposefully, or it can be simple neglect of purposeful love towards your fellow man. Because that's also Darkness. Hurting is darkness, but also neglect to love is darkness as well. And hatred will be judged if not repented of. So you and I must understand that today. Hatred cannot exist. We cannot coexist with hatred and with God. So if we picked hatred, if we've chosen hatred, we've turned our back on God. And if we've chosen Christ, if we've chosen that path, we've turned our back on hatred. It can't can't coexist. And number three. We have been loved to love. This is the whole theme of 1 John that we're looking through. We have been loved to love. The Lord, first and foremost, love him with your chief energy and ambitions and talents, but also love his people as an extension of loving the Lord. Love others with purpose and sacrifice in order to build up, strengthen, edify your fellow man. And there's even a time for calling out sin. But you need to learn love from Jesus, not from the world. The world thinks they're very loving too, right? Most of the world say, yes, I'm a loving individual, but do they look like Jesus? That's the litmus test. Does your love and my love look like Christ? If not, it's very hard calling that love because Jesus is the author of love. What I want to do now is I want to transition for our last few moments here, and I want to talk about this idea of a better commandment, okay? Because we talked about it briefly, but I want to really specify it now because if you remember the two greatest commandments that I've said here multiple times in this pulpit, the two greatest commandments, and I need you to focus on one word in both of these commandments, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there's one common denominator, love. Love, and we're going to get back to that. That's, this is what sets the entire stage for all of God's commandments love. And then we have this thing called the 10 commandments that we talked about last week. And then the 10 commandments, we're going to bring these up here. I want you to notice something in the 10 commandments. Okay, this isn't this isn't a flaw of God. This is just something that you and I can focus on the wrong thing if if we don't be very careful with the 10 commandments. Look at number 1. You shall have no other gods before me. It's defense. Don't have any other gods. Be very purposeful purposeful to not have another God or idol in your life. Okay, that's commandment number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or anything with your hands and then bow down and worship that thing. So don't do that. That's commandment number two. Don't make an idol and worship it. Number three, you shall not take the name of, your Lord, of the Lord your God in vain. So be very careful with his name. Don't abuse his name. His name means everything for us. So do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then you remember, you see a theme here. Four and five are a little bit different. Remember the Sabbath day, that's sort of an offensive thing. Number five, honor your father and your mother, also an offensive thing. But go to the next ones here. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you'll notice one common denominator. You shall not. 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 Do you notice something there? Do you notice why people might be getting confused at this point going, oh, God's commandments is all about not doing things. And I think, unfortunately, there's a stigma of Christianity that I grew up with and maybe you guys grew up with that Christians just don't do stuff. Christians don't dance. Christians don't go to movie theaters. Christians don't drink. Christians don't do this. On and on and on. They just don't do a bunch of fun things. Is that Christianity? Now, that's not God's flaw. God's flaw is not in making the Ten Commandments. It was our understanding that was flawed, and the Pharisees were the biggest ones who had the faux pas with this because the Pharisees said, I don't kill anybody. I haven't committed adultery. And Jesus had had conflicts with them and said, Are you blessing your neighbor? Are you harboring hatred and anger? Are you actually on the offense to show love to your neighbor? Because that was a totally different question. And the Pharisees were looking at all these thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots, and said, as long as I avoid sin, I'm godly. And that's where Jesus came onto the scene and said, It's time to reform. It's time to amend. It's time to improve that idea of love. Because these commandments are not commandments of defense only, are they? Because you have to remember the first two commandments. What are they? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not just commands of defense. It doesn't just say, sit in your room and avoid sin and sit in your hands and spend the day that way and you'll be godly. No. We have something to do. And this is what I want to do now is careful with my language. I wanted to look at the better Ten Commandments today, okay? Because things these things come from Scripture. This is not my opinion. This is not something I'm making up. But listen to the better Ten Commandments, and I want to contrast them with the old Ten Commandments because this is what Jesus came to teach us, okay? Number one, you remember it said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what's better than that even? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't it better to love God with everything than to just have no other gods? Of course it is. That's what Jesus came to improve and amend and reform. It's not just good to just have no other gods. You need to love God with everything you have. That's a better commandment. Number two, it's very similar. The old commandment is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness that is in anything in heaven above. And then the better commandment is this, in Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Are you noticing something? Love, to present, be transformed. These are all offensive terms. It's not just avoid, it's go on the offense. Love, present, be transformed, and let's keep going on. The old commandment number three, you shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain look at number three of the New Commandments. He said to them, excuse me, whatever you do in word or deed, he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That's Colossians. It also says in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Isn't that a little bit different than just be careful how you use the name of God? Zip it. That's not what he's saying. Don't zip it. (laughs) Use it and glorify God through it. That is a love of offense. That is the love that Jesus came to show us and to teach us, is not just sit in your room and don't sin. Bless, love, encourage, build up, strengthen, use your talents, use your abilities, use your oxygen, and love your Lord. Number four, very similar. The old commandment says, you know, don't do these things on the Sabbath, and then Jesus said in the new uh, the new. Covenant in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So even the Sabbath is not just a bunch of don't do's. The Sabbath is do in order to bless yourself, in order to bless your God. Take a respite. Take a break. Give yourself what you need in order to get back up and bless the Lord. It doesn't mean just don't go to the mall or don't work on the Sabbath. That's not the point. The point is to bless yourself. Use it so that you can bless your lord number five this one's not too different it says honor your father and your mother and this one it says children obey your parents in everything honor your father and your mother for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land so let's look at this screen here notice the terms of offense obey honor number six we didn't even get to yet so let's pause and look at six Number six, he said, the old one is you shall not murder. So just don't kill anybody and you're godly. No. Number six, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Then it says in Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you see that? Obey, honor, be kind, forgive, love, show honor. Do you see that? Isn't that a better way to see the Ten Commandments? To love, to bless, to encourage, and to edify. Number seven, this one blew my mind a little bit. Number seven, the Old Testament, is do not commit adultery. And the Pharisees got this one right, at least by the letter of the law. Most of them did not commit adultery. But you know what it says in the New Testament? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wow. Do you see the difference between do not commit adultery and love your wives as Christ loves the church? So you can look at it and go, well, I haven't haven't slept around. I haven't committed adultery. Godly. And then Jesus says it's much greater than that. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Submit to your own husband as is fitting to the Lord. That is the idea of love that Jesus came to teach us and tell us. It's an idea of purposeful, edifying, God glorifying love. We'll move through the rest of these very quickly. Number seven, you shall not, we looked at that one, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight says, you shall not steal. The new number eight, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And the last two. Number nine says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then the New Testament, we see things like this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And number 10, the Old Testament tells us to not covet. Don't covet what belongs to your neighbor. And here in Luke 12 and Romans 12 and Matthew 7, it says things like this. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do you see the thread and the theme there? Do you see that? Can you see it? Speaking, speak the truth, sell, give, contribute, seek to show, do also. It's much more than just avoiding. I'll leave this verse with you, which we started at the beginning with. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This is the phrase I want you to think about and to resonate in your mind today. Love one another just as I have loved you. If Jesus loved with only defense, he never comes to the earth. He never yields up his body. He never becomes the good shepherd. He never spills his blood. Jesus' love was all about helping and building up and saving. And you and I have life today because Jesus went on the offense. So the question for us today is, will we go on the offense for love? Will we make love our chief ambition in this life? Because purposeful love saved us. Purposeful love will guide us. Purposeful love will defeat the devil. Purposeful love will unlock the kingdom of heaven's gates. Jesus is worthy of this kind of love. He gave this love to us, and now he expects us to give that kind of love back to the Lord and back to one another so, are you in offense today? Are you on the offense today for love? Because it's true that the best defense is a good offense, isn't it? The best way to avoid sin is to go on the offense for love. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave us these commandments. These commandments are not man made, these are from you. You came to reform and to amend and to teach and to guide in a new way that man was not already considering. And therefore, it is a new commandment. But it's also an old commandment. It's an ancient commandment. It's a commandment that we were always meant to be, have a part of us. And I pray that you'd help us understand that today, that check our lives and our souls. What are we doing with our time? Are we too busy? Are we too wrapped up in the TV shows and the sports and the shopping trips and the vacations today to actually show purposeful love to our man? Fellow man, help us today to see Jesus and see that Jesus left his throne. Jesus yielded up his life. Jesus came and ministered when he was exhausted so that we would be blessed. Father, we ask that you would bless us today to teach us what we need today so we can go the right way for Christ's sake, for our sake, and for the sake of other people. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.